When we do our, our smile design, which is an integral part, that's all done in that one file. So when I do smile design with a patient, I'm doing that in CAD with the patient in real time. I'm moving the teeth. I'm reorganising my implant position mm -hmm. in real time with the patient. The patient can see what the outcome's going to be before I do it. That was Dr. Harry Schlen. This is the Newbie Dentist Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azemi. Welcome back to another episode of the Implant Mini Audio Residency. I hope you have enjoyed part one and part two with Dr. Leighton Fu and Dr. Noon Dastaran, respectively. This third episode of the Implant Mini Audio Residency is with Dr. Harry Schlen, who is the clinical director at Mordent. Dr. Harry Schlen has over 35 years of experience as a dentist and is a thought leader in the field of implantology and dental technology. In this episode, we talk about the role of digital dentistry in implant dentistry, and we cover the evolution of digital dentistry, the evolution of guided surgery, and what Mordent is doing with their innovative guides that they're using with their clinicians currently. Building on what we did in the previous episode with Dr. Nudastron, the 2-5 implant placement, we talk about that similar case and talk about the digital workflow from patient assessment to obtaining the CVCT required to working up the case digitally through to the guide fabrication and then the implant placement. We also talk about the benefit of guided surgery in reducing the reliance on muscle memory and therefore reducing the variability in performance, making implant dentistry for general dentists much more predictable and reproducible day to day. Having the opportunity to speak to Dr. Harry Schlein, who is such an experienced clinician who has worked and mentored so many different dentists, I also took the opportunity in this podcast to have a good chat to him about the key characteristics of successful clinicians. What is required to become a good implant dentist? What is required of a dentist to be able to take on these advanced procedures and be able to do them confidently and to deliver great outcomes for your patients? I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I got a lot of value out of it and Dr. Harry Schlein was very generous with his expertise and sharing some general advice for many of the new grads listening out there. This week's episode of the Mini Implant Audio Residency is brought to you by my good friends at Mordent. Mordent is your proudly Australian-owned and operated partner, driving the charge forward in integrated digital dentistry. Being the only fully integrated local dental company, Mordent offers world-class education, equipment, products, solution, and support. The Mordent team of over 50 specialists are helping thousands of Australian practices to seize the opportunities in digital dentistry transforming treatment for their dentists and the patients alike. Whether you're seeking to upskill through education or are considering implementation of digital dentistry into your practice, or just looking for some advice, I highly recommend reaching out to the Mordent team. Visit www.mordent.com.au to find out more. I will include their information in the show notes for those interested. As always, if you're new to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, thank you for checking us out. Be sure to head back and check out the previous episodes that I've done on the podcast. I've had the privilege of having some amazing guests on the podcast over the past couple of years. If you're returning, thank you for your ongoing support of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I hope this mini implant audio residency is full of value for you. And if you are getting value, please head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. 
These ratings help the show get more traction within the dental community. Without further delay, enjoy this week's episode. Okay, so welcome to episode three of the Mini Implant Audio Residency. Today, I'm privileged to be joined by Dr. Harry Schlen, who will be talking to us about the digital workflow and guided surgery. Uh, Dr. Harry, thank you so much for coming on this morning. Pleasure. Uh, so in episode three, I'm hoping to talk about more of the technology, technological side and the digital advances in implant dentistry. In the previous episode with Dr. New, we talked a little bit more about the you know, surgical approach, you know, flap designs and osteotomies and some decision making that goes into that. Uh, in today's episode, I think once we get through the origin story and your background and everything, which I'm sure everyone's excited to hear about, um, hopefully we can go through a similar case that we went through in the previous episode, but more from a guided and digital workflow. So if you don't mind, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, a bit about your background, and then we'll take things from there. Okay. Um, there's not a lot to tell. You know, I'm <laughs> pretty much, my origins are very similar to everybody else's. Uh, before I started the industry, I had a background in science. I, I uh, was a pharmacologist. And uh, I also had a background in computing. So I guess it was natural for me to be drawn towards the more technological aspects of dentistry. One of the very interesting things about dentistry is that it's very much taught a little bit like a trade. And I don't think in the way they teach us, they connect the science, the underlying science with the practices that we carry out. Yeah. One of the things I found when I was um, running through as a student is that I'd previously done a pretty deep science degree in biological sciences. And uh, so I was able to relate that underlying science to what we we're actually doing. And I think one of the real problems is that we don't learn our science contextually. So um, in other words, we learn science separately and we learn what we do separately, we don't join them together. Yeah. And I'm a very strong believer, having come through the other part in understanding the relevance of that underlying science because it helps you make much better decisions clinically. So, um, you know, and, and that applies also, especially here in this field where we so it's so important for us to rely on that technology that we can get from digital technology yeah. and apply that in what we're doing. And so what's, so tell us a little bit about your implant journey, sort of when you started placing them and some of the trends and things that you've noticed from when you kind of started to where we are today. When we started, there was very little in guided surgery available and we didn't, nobody really understood the real depth of, uh, and the availability to us or the value to us of three-dimensional imaging. But once you start doing implantology, that brings you to that realization that three-dimensional three imaging is essential because you want to place your implant in three dimensions. So you've got to learn to start thinking in three dimensions, not two, because in dentistry, everything we've learned up to this point is two-dimensional. As you yeah. go to school, you learn certain things and you've got to be able to change your way of thinking. Yeah, so, so 
super critical. So once you've done that and you've got that information, you can do your planning in three dimensions, then you've got to be able to transform that information from what you're looking at in the CT across to putting it into the mouth. You don't sort of just go there and really, really stick <laughs> it in. Uh, and, you know, you've also then got to develop the skills, the physical skills to do it with dentistry. Uh, you know, in our training for dentistry, in our selection for dentistry, there's no real recognition of the need to have very, very good fine motor skills. We don't do any training to develop that. So suddenly you start off and your requirements to get into dentistry are to be academically good, and that's important. But you've also got to be able to, I guess, assimilate information, learn the relevance of that and learn to apply it, and then be able to technically do the technical skills that, that you really have to have. Yeah. You know, I don't think we're as good at developing those skills as we should be. Yeah, it's definitely a, a good point because, you know, we, we get – get into dental school and the merits of like academic performance, not so much on our actual like dexterity or hand skills and different, you know, different groups of us have different abilities at the start. And we, we develop like a certain baseline of it, I guess, as we kind of go through dental school and have to pass through the practical components and things. But um, still, I think when we finish training, there's a huge variation of like different abilities and hand skills and things like that, that different clinicians sort of will have. So I'm assuming when you first started placing implants, it was more of a non-guided uh, approach to, to placement. What's, how was the adopt, adaptation or um, you know, bringing into practice the guided approach to dentistry? When did that kind of start and what was some of the early sort of challenges that you faced? Look, when I first started, I was very against guided surgery. <laughs> um, if you read the reviews of the era, it, it didn't have a very good reputation. There was, you know, lots of variation in the outcomes you got. And I had concluded that, you know, it wasn't for me. It wasn't until I, um, and I did try using guided surgery from the very outcome. It wasn't until I got the M guy and I did one case with it and I said, I'm never going back. It, uh, and the reason is it's a much more sophisticated system. Uh, it's a little bit like, using a, um, a directory, a street directory, and suddenly discovering, um, you know, digital navigation, you know. Yeah. Once you get Google Maps, you never go back. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big jump for sure. <laughs> so... I guess the one thing I, you know we talked about before in in the pre conversations that we've had previously was you know reducing the reliance on like performance based or like muscle memory and the role that guided kind of plays in that. So maybe we want to share some of your thoughts about that and and take reducing that you know range of variability in in performance on the day and things and the importance of being more you know reproducible or more predictable in your outcomes. The the thing is. The more practice the clinician is and the more skilled is, the lower the variability in what they're going to do. Yeah. So if you've got someone who can do an MOD filling, who's very skilled at it, they're going to do it time and time again. When you're going to put an implant in, it's much higher precision. You've got to put it within certain confines. And there are so many variables that affect your ability to place it. And the more skilled you are, the more likely are you are to get it in the right place. Having said that, even the best person has a good day and a bad day. Yeah. 
and uh, the patient can be gagging, they can be biting down on you, they might have enough vertical clearance for you to get into place. There might be um, constraints with the adjacent teeth that allow you to position your implant, but all of these variables have a, an influence on your ability to put it exactly where you want it to put it. Yeah. The more skilled you are, the more you are able to compensate for that. Uh, there's also, as we discussed, the concept of muscle memory and that a more skilled person is going to have developed that technique for putting their implant in. And remember, as you put it in, to get it parallel, you've got to make sure you're not moving your arm in an arc. And as you force down, you tend to describe an arc with your hand. Yes. So there are lots of reasons for you to get your implant in the wrong place. And remember, we're doing this in three dimensions. So it's not just in one dimension. It's in three. It's left, uh, laterally, it's horizontally, and it's vertically. So you really got to be thinking uh, and working on what you do. So using a guide is obviously going to reduce that variability. Now, there's still going to be variability using a guide, but it's going to be dramatically reduced. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we're talking orders of magnitude in difference, okay? Yeah. So you get a very, very tight little grouping of your results when you're using the guide. The better the guide, the tighter the outcome. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's handy because obviously the dentistry at baseline is quite stressful. And if you're doing these more advanced or trickier procedures, if you're relying on performance day to day, like people, I think overlook that fact that how much performance matters. Like, you know, do you get enough sleep the night before, or do, like how much stress you have, how much time pressure is on you? So, being able to reduce that variability using guides and and planning ahead of time will definitely, you know, take a lot of that stress out of implant dentistry, especially for the beginners who are kind of getting going, right? Yeah, and not only that. Remember, there are the pressures are greater, the you know, the stakes are greater, the consequences of getting it wrong are greater. It doesn't just mean it's more difficult to restore the implant. You've got the potential for damage permanently, uh, the inferior alveolar nerve, you've got the potential to damage the adjacent teeth irreparably. And you know, the consequences for the patient and the you know, long-term uh, consequences for the clinician are significant as well. So, you know, you've got a lot more pressure on them. Definitely. The you know, before we get into the workflow, the other thing that I wanted to kind of uh, chat with you about, because we had a brief conversation about previously was sort of uh, some of the mindset stuff or some of the key characteristics of clinicians who do end up becoming successful implant dentists, um, you know, the ability to back yourself, having that confidence to kind of deal with adversity and things along those. Uh, what are some of the things that you've noticed amongst people who you've trained and worked with that kind of characteristics that helps them become uh, successful in their implant dentistry journey? Um, it, you know what? It's not an easy answer. <laughs> the, uh, you've got to, the people who are successful have got to be, I think you've got to be humble to be a winner, okay? Yeah. Because the first thing you've got to be able to do is acknowledge that you can be wrong. And that's the greatest freedom that you can have as a clinician. Because firstly, you've got to believe in yourself. You do have to be able to believe in yourself and you've got to believe that you can achieve. But you've also got to be able to look critically at your own work and be able to say, no, that was a wrong tack. Mm -hmm. I've got to change my tack to improve my success. And that means 
you know, you can't have an ego that's so big that you can't get past it. Yeah. Um, you've got to be able to look at yourself and you've got to be driven to keep on improving. So after you've done a case, you'll look back and say, how did I do that? What went wrong? What went right? And how am I going to improve that? You've got to build your workflows. So I recognise my weaknesses and uh, I recognise that when I'm under pressure, I don't always write the, run the tasks. So I make myself a list of tasks so that when I go into uh, surgery, I have a list up on the wall of what I'm going to do in what sequence. Because yeah. we do very, very complex tasks. It's, it, once you're doing one implant, you, you know, you've got a list of things. But when you're doing a full arch, you're going to do a lot of stuff. So I don't want to think back to um, what I missed later. I can yeah. remember, you know, when I first started, we were doing veneers. And I can remember lying on the beach at Surface Paradise. And suddenly thinking, you know, that veneer I did yesterday, I don't think I etched before I put it on. <laughs> doing that. And Monday morning I get back into the work and, you know, the come veneer up. is gone. <laughs> it's much more serious than implantology. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, you build these work things. Okay. So I set our group up to work as a team. We had a list of things we we're going to do. And we had check banks within our team. So when I work, I always cross-reference with my nurse. So I'll, you know, she'll always, before I start to drill, tell me what speed I'm set to. And I'll, you know, we, we have that cross-reference between us, but she's yeah. the driver. So you've got to build those checks and balances in. And you can't be this godlike creature that commands everybody in the surgery. You've got to share out those responsibilities so that you get a good result. That's awesome. I mean, that's some great advice in there. So, you know, for people listening, the first thing that you said was you got to be quite humble and, you know, be really open to reflection, like reflect on your cases. What did you do? Do well, what did you do wrong? How could you improve it the following time? And then the other thing that you mentioned is, you know, the list, I really like that because it goes back to, I guess, using a guide and trying to reduce variability. So if you have a list there, you just kind of follow the steps when, when you're kind of maybe in a moment of stress or trying to you know, problem solve on the spot to, so you're not guessing or you're not um, taking action without having like thought it out beforehand, which I think is a, is another great point there. I think one very big thing I've noticed with dentists, a lot of people are worried about the patient not thinking that this dentist is a super human, super wonderful person. You've got to be not embarrassed to be working in front of the patient. You're a real person. You're not a, this superhuman being. You can be wrong. You can be fallible. Yeah. You've got to work. The big thing about dentistry is we're not taught to be part of a team. If you go to medicine, they're a team. When you're yeah. operating, your nurses in, in theatre, your nurses are very much part of that team. A good clinician builds a team around you. When you're a dentist, You've got to do the same, okay? Your work is part of the team. While you're doing surgery, those people working with you are an integral part of the team, and everybody contributes. When you're planning your case, you work with a team. You're not doing it yourself. You're working with consultation with other dentists, with specialists, with the lab. Everybody's got a valid contribution. You're making the final decision, but you've got to take all that information in and you've got to be relaxed about it. You've got to be able to look at the pros and cons before you get in. Teamwork 
makes the dream work. Yeah, <laughs> that's excellent advice. And I think that goes back to being open to, you know, not having the ego of being like, I, I know the way and I'm going to do it my own way only. Um, being open to getting input from others and, and collaborating on, on, on treatment planning and uh, will give a much better result. One thing in, in dentistry that I've, I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard similar is, you know, patients seem to be more open to complications or not full, you know, ideal outcomes in medicine, but in dentistry doesn't seem to be the case. A lot of patients have a, you know, maybe an unfair expectation that everything we do is going to last forever. It's going to be perfect without issues. Why do you think that is that divide between the expectations of patients between medicine and dentistry? Well, you know what, they have this, this story about medicine and dentistry. The doctors bury their mistakes. The dentists <laughs> smile back at them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time they open their mouth, they're looking at. Yeah. <laughs> I, I spend most of my life, my working life in the hospital. And, uh, you know, the standard joke with, amongst clinicians that um, the people that they get it wrong and they kill their patients, their families are always so grateful that they did everything for them. <laughs> But the ones that they go out and do everything for, they're never great. Yeah. <laughs> the industry is not that different, you know. Yeah. We, um, it really boils down to giving your patient full information. When you work with your patient, we've got a duty of disclosure. So, and that works in your favor. When you're going to do any task on a patient, you've got to explain to them what can happen, what, you know, you've got to explain the possible pros and cons. And if they go into that, understanding that, then you're going to get a better outcome. If you promise your patients unrealistic outcomes, you are very unlikely to be able to deliver. Yeah. You've got to give your patient a very good understanding of the outcomes that you can achieve. And when they're aiming for, and they have a good understanding of that, then you've got a much better chance of satisfying your patients. Yeah, so like undersell and over-deliver, I guess, in terms of when you're... You've got to give them realistic outcomes, you know, mm -hmm. realistic aspirations. You've got to lock down the people. And, and the thing is, you've got to choose your patients too. So if you've got a patient who's got an unrealistic ex outcome expectation, then maybe you should be, you know, not taking on that patient. Yeah. Excellent. So, I mean, I, I really appreciate and I really enjoy that mindful, mindfulness stuff and, and mindset things, because I think along with the clinical skills and things that we develop, it's really important to have that on the back of your mind as well, in terms of communication, in terms of teamwork, in terms of having the, the you know, not having the ego and being open to feedback and things from your colleagues and, and collaborations, which is, which is all great. Uh, I guess the, the bulk of what I want to talk to you about today is going through a case. So, hypothetical patient, you know, uh, missing tooth two five. And I'm, I'm interested in terms of how you would approach that from start to finish within the digital workflow of your current uh, practice. And then if there's anything along the way, we'll kind of stop and have a, a conversation about it. Sure. Okay. So depending on where your tooth is and whether it's variable, your workflow is going to be different. Okay. Because mm -hmm. today when we're doing a case and we do all of our cases here digitally, that may, and the digital design is quite different to an analog design and your workflow is quite different. And the reason is that when you do a digital case, everything is integrated from the outset. So if you think back, and we're talking about pros in general. So when you're going to, when you present, say you're going to make a denture for someone or a fixed bridge, 
in the days of old, we would take our bite relationship, we would take our biometric records. That means we would re record the smile line, the canine line, the midline. All of those records, the centric relations, they were all recorded individually and there was no concept of building them all together. Yeah. Today, we don't do that. We build everything in CAD. So that means we're going to take our photos, whether they're two-dimensional or three-dimensional. We're going to take our CT. We're going to take our um, intraoral scans. We're going to overlay all of those into the one record. So when I look at a case, I've got everything in one place. That's and great. I can give you some files that show cases that I've done just like that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We can share it in the show notes for people to have a look at sure. it. When we do our, our smile design, which is an integral part, that's all done in that one file. So when I do smile design with a patient, I'm doing that in CAD with the patient in real time. I'm moving the teeth. I'm reorganizing my implant position mm -hmm. in real time with the patient. The patient can see what the outcome is going to be before I do it. That's incredible. So that means that my biometrics are always going to be right. And biometrics are such a critical part of what we do. You know, I can remember when people in my early days were talking to me about restoratively driven dentistry. I used to scoff at that. <laughs> but today I wouldn't think of doing it any other way. How, how could I? Mm -hmm. You've got to have the parameters in place. So if we go back now to what you were discussing, the single two five, that's a slightly different story because I'm only doing it contextually in that micro environment. So if I was going to do a two five, the very first thing I would do would be to take an intraoral scan yep. uh, or take a CT. The truth is the first thing I do in any case is a CT because mm -hmm. a CT lets me know if the case is viable. Yeah. And once I've done that, then I'll go ahead and do my intraoral scan We'll put those into CAD and we can work out straight away where we're going to put our implant and how the case is going to go. If there's any photography, we'll add that in as well mm -hmm. because we want to match the colour. We want to make sure if there's an aesthetic impact that we can meet it. And um, within the lab here at Mordim, what we do is we have an integrated solution. So we always have a lab input into every case That's so great. we'll um we'll have a lab consideration of how we've restored it to say whether it's restorable and if they've got any preference to how we put it our design team are all biomedical engineers so they've got a very good understanding of the pros and cons and they'll have assessed biologically uh, whether it's viable or not whether the bone quality is good, whether there's enough volume there, if there are any structures that they need to avoid. So in 2-5 position, you'd be looking at the relationship to the sinus. You'd be looking at the relationship with the adjacent teeth. Yeah. You'd be looking at the relationship with the opposing teeth because you're still going to have enough room to restore. Mm -hmm. So all of this would be done in-house um, in CAD. Once the CAD is completed, um, and if necessary, if there are any considerations that need further consideration, then those people in their team would have discussed it with other people internally, uh, such as me or with maybe one of our 
clinicians who would help us, uh, back spank surgeon maybe. Yeah. About, you know, suitability of positioning and stuff like that or maybe other factors that may be coming in. And once that's all done, uh, once the case is prepared, we would then have a meeting with the clinician, uh, just like you and I having here in a, in a digital video conferencing format where everybody's got access to the case and can work with it. That's excellent. So in terms of appointments and how it's broken up, the patient comes in, uh, you take a CT and intro scan as a part of the, the treatment planning process, maybe some uh, photos as well. And then you take all that into a CAD program and, you know, merge the scan and the CT together, plan the positioning, um, evaluate sort of the aesthetic outcomes of the restorative plan and things. And what I like is you talk to the lab as well in the planning phase to be like, you know, if we place the implant here, what's the options? Uh, what type of restorative options do we have? Um, and then you go from, so what's the workflow from then the plan has been accepted by the patient and yourself or the team, um, uh, in terms of guide fabrications, how is that done or how do you do it currently? Well, once the uh, treatment has been accepted by the clinician and, uh, then we just print the guide straight away. Yeah. Uh, guides are all done. We have a very sophisticated printing facility, uh, with spectacular printers, uh, very high in printed things. I don't think a lot of people don't understand the precision involved in printing guides. Uh, the other thing that's worth talking about is a guide in general. A guide isn't a guide. Yeah. <laughs> so you see a lot of people, I've, I've come across a lot of people who print their own guides and that's quite a difficult task. When you design a guide, one of the things that makes the guide separate the end guide from all other guides is the precision with which it delivers its implant. The end guide, you can actually decide where the guide rests on teeth. So you can choose your rest. It's your only guide that will do that. That's very, very important because a full cover guide, you can't tell if you're totally seated or not. Yeah. And even if you can tell if it's seated, you can't adjust it because you can't see where you're between. With a guide that's got precise points and because of its open nature, you can see where it's touching. You can define whether you're seated accurately and if you're not, you can adjust it pretty easy to put it in. The other really valuable thing about the end guide is it doesn't use spoons mm-hmm. to... Um, change the diameter of the aperture to select different drills. And that, again, reduces the flex you get when you're putting your drill in. Yeah. When you put an implant drill <clears throat> into a guide, you're limited with just how precise you can make that pass through because otherwise it's too tight and too difficult to get in. Mm-hmm. I've done cases with many clinicians who have great difficulty orienting in three dimensions their drill to get it through the guide and they tell me the guides have problems. The <laughs> guides don't have problems. What they don't understand is that you've got to have three-dimensional vision. You've got to have depth perception yeah. to be able to slide your drill into the guide. And the looser we make that, the less accurate it is. So you've got to do that and you've got to be looking down at an angle of about 45 degrees. You've got to give yourself 
depth perception as you're looking down to be able to accurately put that pride in that drill into the bar. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I hadn't thought about that. So like the diameter of the actual hole in the guide will have an impact on, you know, variability within that hole as well. If the drill can still swim around a little bit in there. Yeah. They call that variability dwell. Yeah. <laughs> and that dwell increases with the length of the drill. Yeah. And with the looseness you get through the sleeve. So if you're using spoons in your guide, then each one has to rock because you got first you got the variability within that first sleeve. Then you put another sleeve, you've got to have enough variability to get that in. And then you've got variability within the spoon. Very inaccurate system. Yeah. So what, what are some of the other challenges you've noticed from clinicians like just starting out and using guides? Like what are some of the other sticking areas for them or, or challenges that they face early on? The biggest thing about a guide is that I like to compare it to using navigation in the car. Mm -hmm. When you're driving and your navigator says, okay, turn right now, you don't turn right now. You <laughs> wait until the traffic's clear, you wait until you've got a green light. You don't just blindly turn your brain off once you've got a guide. Yeah. So once you've got a guide, you've still got to be thinking. You've got to make sure that the guide is accurately seated. You've got to make sure that you're not distorting the guide when you put it in. And you've got to make sure that you're actually, um, I guess, drilling passively within the sleeve as you go down. So you've still got to be a thinking functioning unit even though you've got this guide because you can still get that wrong okay? yeah so there, there's still some variability it's, it's going to help reduce that variability but you still have to be aware because it's not like a hundred percent accurate be, thing it's yeah. to be switched on so the biggest error i see with guided surgery is that the guide isn't seated yeah and that's why the end guide is so much better than all the others because you can see it see but yeah. you can still get it wrong yeah and what are some of the, I guess, innovations or sort of on the horizon of improvements in guides? Or sort of if you want to tell me like from the other approach, you know, where guides started to where guides are now, what's been some of the biggest kind of advances there? Look, you know what? There's been lots of technology in you know, thrown at guides. But the truth is the best guide is still the simplest guide mm -hmm. with the least moving parts, okay? So a jig... Jigs have been used ever since the early days of mankind to place things in place. And the jig is still the simplest and best mechanism. We have these stereo guides, you know, stereo tactic with lights pointing in different directions. They have too many moving parts and they can't deliver the accuracy that you can still get with a simple jig. Yeah. So, but you've got to position that jig very accurately to get the best result. Having said that, life nothing stands still. The only constant in this life is change. And we're forever improving those jigs. Mm -hmm. So um, we, what we, I guess the next stage in guides is stackable guides. Stackable guides, okay. So where we put our first layer on, then we attach our next layer down. And that's, that's where we're moving into. So instead of having to have multiple guides for the same case, that you swap in and out. So that was, was that, so it reduces the variability of the seating. So you make sure the first one's seated properly and then you stack on top of it or what's the other benefits? Well, you're still using multiple guides, but you're, what you're doing is you're creating a stable platform. So mm -hmm. you can swap between them and always arrive back at the same position. Yeah. 
that becomes very important when you're doing reduction of bone height. It becomes important when you're starting with a dentate patient and ending up with an edentulous patient with implants. Mm -hmm. And ultimately going and putting a, a an immediate temporary bridge on at the end of surgery, then you've got to be able to put it in a predictable fashion. Yeah. So that's the that that's the re rationale behind it. For sure. And in terms of equipment uh, within the office to facilitate all this, so uh, obviously like a CBCT would be handy if you have one. Uh, what type of scanner and things are you currently using? Look, you know, we, I've used all sorts of equipment, okay, over mm -hmm. my time, and, and I've got a pretty good awareness of what's on the market and what's coming. Uh, we are obviously more dead agents for chemistry, mm -hmm. You know, I think the care stream equipment is as good or better than anything else about. And for lots of reasons. It's not just because I followed the brand, it's because technically mm -hmm. the CTs have probably the best guidance system. Yeah. But a, a video guidance system. So that it means when you're doing an endo, you can definitively get the area that you want to get. It's just superb. Mm -hmm. The intraoral scanners are smaller and more balanced. They can get into where you want to go. The software is very innovative and gives you a very high reading of trueness of, of the outcome that we're getting. Um, you really, without getting into specifics, you really just need to be at ease with that technology and learn to apply it. Yeah. I think, I think the difference with digital technology is that it, it changes the way we look at things. So I think integration is the answer. So we've got to be planning everything in an integrated form and digital technology lets us do that. Instead of doing isolated things, we can integrate it all into one place and that's where we're headed. Yeah, that's a, and that's an exciting feature for that as well because um, like you mentioned with the traditional, like, you know, take an impression, you know, take a bite registration, take photos and everything's just kind of separate and you're trying to just uh, plan it out all in individually or independently of each other. Um, the ability that you mentioned of, you know, the CT, the intro scan photos, merging it all together in like a CAD software and planning based on that. Um, I think that's really exciting for a lot of clinicians uh, because I guess, I think it, with everything that I've heard, it's, it's all about reducing the variability in terms of everything that you're doing, right? So the more predictable your outcomes can be, um, the better and easier your life will be as well as a clinician. It's conceptual. You yeah. can actually see the outcome you're going to get right in front of you. Yeah. And you can vary that until you get exactly what you want. Yeah. It's a bit like architects have these walkthroughs, these virtual walkthroughs. We have mm -hmm. that too now. Yeah, and, that's uh, awesome. And that's not just as a sales tool, although it's a valuable sales tool, fabulous for us because we can visualize what we're going to get when we do the task. It's very yeah. rewarding area to work. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Like you said, it's a great communication tool with the patient as well to help them understand what you're thinking, what they can expect. And then I think that's just like a win-win for, for sort of both parties involved there, which is, which is excellent. In terms of, you know, you're, you're really involved with teaching and educating like, you know, young clinicians or dentists who are trying to get into implants and starting out their implant journey. What are some of like the general kind of pieces of advice and things that you have for them in terms of some of the things that you've seen maybe people struggle with? Um, 
to make this transition into implant dentistry easier and also to implement it. Like a lot of people take courses and they spend the time and effort and even buy the drills and, and the units and everything, the motors, and then they go back to their practice and maybe they do one or two and they kind of stop doing it. So what, what's like your general advice for someone who is interested in implants is just starting out in implant dentistry to have a long, you know, uh, fruitful, I guess, kind of experience with implant dentistry in their career. Look, the, um, the thing is that um, the biggest, uh, I guess, roadblock in the way to implantology or any task is that you need a mentor to work with you. You need somebody that you can ask the questions to get you past that roadblock that you've got. Mm-hmm. You've got somebody who's had that experience to say, this is the way you do something and this is the reason for it. I don't know how other people think, but in my mind, I like to have a model in my mind that I can reference as I do. Mm-hmm. But that gives me a rationale and I can understand and build my treatment path based on that. So I think back to my first implant and, you know, the traumas that I had, and there was no one to ask. Uh, I think back to when I first started doing my chairside dentistry and there was no one to ask. And uh, with chairside milling and crowns and stuff. And, um, and so we, what we've done at Morden is we've built this environment where there's always someone there to help you. Yeah. So when you need to interpret an x-ray, there's someone to say, okay, well, what you're looking at there is maybe, um, you know, osteoporosis or that's not really something terrible you know you've got to be able to have someone to talk it through with i was very lucky in my practice we had a number of dentists we had uh, dragon gruber who was head of max fax at melbourne in the rooms next door and we set up a system where we all sat down and talked through our cases openly and evenly no one was inhibited about it if you did something wrong, no one was going to bite you. Uh, and that was a truly wonderful way to work. That's awesome, yeah. The sad thing in dentistry is a lot of people work as individuals and if they do have a case that doesn't go, so well, they hide it. Mm-hmm. Instead of learning from it and instead of somebody reaching down and saying, okay, look, you know what, that's okay, but this is where you go from there. If something goes wrong, it's what to do then after. Mm-hmm. You need somebody to help you. The reason somebody will do a case and never do another one is because they'll do a case that didn't go so well. They're so frightened they'll never do another case. Yeah. But if you've got someone there to help you when things don't go well and to help you get back on track, then you're going to get better and better and better. And that's where we are. We've got this team of people to work with you to help you overcome those hurdles and always to give you a part and to help you get over the problems. And if there is a problem, we've got people to dig you out. Yeah. No, that's excellent. And, you know, mentorship is a big theme on the podcast in general and something that I personally believe in a lot. And, you know, pe- people like yourself who, like you said, maybe early on, you didn't have that support yourself, but now you've created an environment for other people to get that support. I think that only just kind of builds and raises the floor of like what a good level of dentistry should be. So um, it's really like through people like effort of people like yourself who make it easier for people like me to, to learn better and, and learn faster and be able to do things at an earlier and better rate 
uh, from when we're kind of starting out. And I think that environment that you guys built at Mordent is a quite an exciting one for clinicians because we can definitely be supported. We can maybe start to do more regular cases or even progressively trickier cases with more experience because we have people there or the ecosystem is there to kind of support us get through that. And I think that only helps our patients because they get a better standard of care overall. Yeah, look, here's the thing. We've traditionally in these professions like medicine and dentistry, we've had these people who set themselves up as the big names in these fields that only they have been anointed by God to have these <laughs> terrific skills to do these things. That's nonsense, okay? Where they're, these people, instead of building themselves up and protecting their turf, they should be leaning out to help everybody else in this camera. And that's what we're doing. We can do these cases bigger and better because we've got the tech and the backup to do these way better than these people can. Mm -hmm. And we've got the very best people there are available to work with us and help you get there. Yeah. Really, it's a terrific way of doing things. So we've, you know, turned around and said no more of the status quo. Let's turn around and let's pick everybody up and build them up to that standard. Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent uh, approach and a great mindset. And I think for the old, like the older generation of kind of specialists who thought that maybe it was them and nobody else, uh, I think the newer wave understand or the new specialists understand also the more implants that like the general dentist will do, there will be more cases that they recognize that is maybe outside of their comfort zone and they'll refer off. So instead of like trying to hog the pie, you just, you know, have a bigger pie and more, more everyone just gets a piece of it essentially. Well, that's it. And that applies to us too. Mm-hmm. Remember to, to, and I'm thinking of us as we as clinicians, you've got to recognize what's within your comfort zone and recognize what isn't. Mm-hmm. And you refer off the stuff that doesn't fit within your comfort zone. And the people that you refer to, they're part of your team. They come back and they work with you. They help you. It's a two-way street. They'll help you with the cases you want to do. With the cases you're not comfortable with, you give them to your referral base. Yeah. There's a terrific, you know, there are huge advantages in it. Yeah. Now, I think that's, and those clinicians who buy into that or have that mindset, I think from both ends, both the general dentist and the specialist um, are the ones that will kind of push on and be successful and do more and more of these kind of cases, I believe. So uh, I think that's definitely some, some great sound advice. Uh, you know, before we wrap this up, is there any other topics or anything that we didn't touch on that you think would be useful for people to hear about? Yeah, I think there's one thing that's always struck me. Sure. And that the other thing that I notice in the industry is um, because of the nature of the way it's taught, people tend to think that there are facts in life. <laughs> the biggest thing you've got to learn is that there are no facts. Everything or everything that we think we know is really a hypothesis that's true until proven false. You can't hold on to any value too tightly. You've got to be relaxed about letting those things change and you've got to keep on learning, okay? I can remember when they introduced this compulsory continuing education and people were offended by that. (laughs) You look back at that and you think it's ridiculous now. Yeah. But, you know, there are no facts in life. Everything is changing and any value you have, you've got to be prepared to give that up and move forward because there is nothing surer than nothing stays there. Yeah. The only constant in life is change. 
That's amazing. I think, I think you've shown that with your, you know, ability to adopt technology, to integrate it into what you're doing and, and kind of always like kind of stay at the forefront of what's going on and not hold on to what you did maybe 20 years ago and be like, this is the only way I'm just going to keep doing it the same way I've been doing it for the past X amount of years. So uh, I think again, it, it, the theme of it comes back to like the mindset of it. And I think that's, that's awesome uh, advice um, to be open to change, to be open to innovation and to like, not like hold on to your conviction so tightly that you're like blind to kind of in, like different things that come out. That's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to keep developing the knowledge base, developing the skill set, and have a, an eye on the horizon. Yeah. In terms of resources, uh, for anyone who maybe is doing some implants but wants to learn more about digital uh, implant dentistry, what would you recommend in terms of where to learn more or other resources to kind of check out? Um, sorry. Um, look. Basically, the, I guess you've got to be aware of everything. It, I think that, that actually raises a point for me in that social media has become a very big focal point. And you do have to be aware of what's going on. It's a great opportunity to have a window on the world looking at that. As well as the conventional sources uh, of information, um, you've got to be very wary of what's going on in social media. And... My experience in social media of the biggest noise in social media is not always the best news. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the most prominent experts in social media can often have a, a mindset of building themselves higher than transferring accurate or good information. So you've got to be very discerning in what you accept. So... As you go through life, you've got to remember that everything you read is opinion. Everything that I tell you is my opinion. That doesn't make what I tell you fact either. You've got to be able to assimilate information from all sources and you've got to be thinking and working out what you think is going to be appropriate, what isn't, what you can apply and in what's good for you. Yeah, oh, that's excellent advice. Uh, so definitely if you can send me maybe a sample or something of this uh, sure. CAD thing, we'll put that in the show notes for anyone listening who wants to kind of get an idea of what that looks like sure. um, in practice. That'd be great. And uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences and, and some of the mindset stuff, which I you know, personally find quite uh, fascinating and, and to be able to tie it back into implant dentistry, which is the theme of this uh, mini series that we're running. Uh, I think a lot of uh, people listening will get a lot of value from it. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Harry. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. For all show notes and to access all previous episodes, head over to www.newbiedentist.com. Have a great day.